Grace and peace to you from him who was and who is and who is to come, our Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Dear fellow Christians, today we're going to talk about purpose. And purpose is one of those things where it's like, oh, it's so simple. And yet not so simple, isn't it? Right? If, you have, if you have purpose, if you know what your purpose is, if you know why you're doing something, well, it, gives you, it gives you excitement, it gives you energy, it gives you momentum and a, a target to hit. It gives you the ability to make decisions, even when it's difficult, because you know where you're going and you know why you're going there. But purpose is kind of hard to come by sometimes, isn't it? And it kind of makes you feel like a, a ship just adrift in the ocean with no way to get anywhere and no place to go. And, and there's all these competing elements, right? People pulling you this way and that, trying to get you to line up with their purpose. And as a result, it can be difficult to, to know what's my purpose. Well, as Christians, our purpose is actually extremely simple, but it's not always so easy to do. And our purpose is actually our first takeaway this morning. It's that my purpose in life as a Christian is to live for God. There's nothing rocket science about this, right? Because after all, we're Christians. Now, we don't do this out of, out of like a payback, right? Well, God did something for me, so I should do something for him. And it's not to, to earn something from him. It's not to try to get in his good graces or, or stay in his favor. We live for God because of what he's done for us. We live for God because, well, he's the God who, who made you, who knit you together in your mother's womb, who, who still knows how many hairs are on your head, who knows every single one of your days before one of them comes to be. He's the God who, who loves you so much that he sent his own son to live for you and to die for you. He's the God who, who called you to faith, to know, not just with your head, but with your heart, to believe and to trust that, that he is that God, that, that he saved you. To trust that Jesus is your Savior and because of that, forgiveness from all of your sins is yours. That you have hope for eternal life, that Jesus is your living hope, that you have peace for today. That's why it, my purpose is to live for God because everything in my life, everything that's, that's good, all the peace that I have, the joy, the hope that I look forward to, it all comes as a gift from God. And so our purpose then is it's to live for him, to live out my days out of thanks and, and making that be known because God has made you and me to be lights in this dark world of sin, to let people see a glimpse of, of the love that God is, right? The Bible says God is love and the love that God gives because he wants others to know that good news, the message of sin and the message of sins forgiven in Jesus. That's our purpose. So as we dig into this section of the Bible this morning, we're going to find 
We're going to find both sides of of what it means to be a Christian and have this purpose. We're going to find a trap, a temptation that is very easy to fall into and that God wants us to watch for. But we're also going to find the encouragement and, and the reason and the why and the meaning behind living for God and for his purpose and what the end goal is. So with that in mind then, let's listen as we begin from Acts chapter 9. It begins, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So the section begins assuming some background information, assuming some some knowledge, right? Because it's helpful to know who this guy Saul is and, and what he's been doing because, I mean, it says he's still breathing out murderous threats, so he's obviously been doing it before, right? So if you, if you rewind a couple of chapters in the book of Acts and go back to where, where we picked up last week in Acts chapter 5, Jesus' disciples had been arrested by the same group of, of Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, that had arrested Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and put him on trial and condemned him. So it's the same group. And, and those apostles boldly said, hey, you can tell us to stop preaching about Jesus, but we're not going to. We must obey God rather than human beings, right? Rather than other people. God is what, who we live for. He's our purpose. And the, the Sanhedrin, those leaders said, stop it. You stop teaching about Jesus. You stop talking about him. You stop preaching about him. But we're going to let you go. Now, God blessed the preaching and teaching of his word, of, of Jesus. And his church, Christi- the Christians, grew rapidly and, and to a, a fairly large number. Thousands of people came to believe in Jesus in, in just a, a matter of weeks. And pretty soon, this is more than those 12 apostles could handle, right? And so they, they put into leadership, they elected some leaders to take care of kind of the administration of things, some structure. And one of those men, his name was Stephen. And the Bible tells us Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit and he was a a gifted man. And Stephen was so good at telling other people about Jesus. He was so blessed by God with that gift that there were people, unbelievers, who became very jealous of him. And so they, they got some other people to bring accusations against him, to make up lies and say that, that Stephen was teaching that against the, the Jewish people in general, against the Bible. And, and so Stephen was arrested and hauled before this same Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin, put on trial. And there he gave this amazing sermon, this beautiful witness. And he went all the way back to the beginning of the Jewish people, because he was Jewish, and, and outlined and showed how Jesus, how God had saved his people, how he had rescued his people over and over and over again, how he had promised to send a Savior to do that forever. And all the way through Moses and Abraham and and all the way through God had done all of these good things, and then here comes Jesus, and he is that Savior that God promised to send for his people, and you, his people, killed him. And at that point, All the people in the room covered their ears like a bunch of two-year-olds and went running and screaming at him, grabbed him, dragged him outside, not only the temple but outside the city, picked up stones and threw them at him until he died. It's a 
pretty strong reaction. And here's how that section ends and the next chapter begins. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So Saul is one of the people who's leading the the persecution, the attack against Christianity, against Jesus. In spite of his efforts, though, well, the message of Jesus spread because the followers of Jesus spread. As, as these Christians literally ran for their lives, they took with them the peace and the hope and the joy that they had, the comfort that they had, that Jesus, he's their living hope. That Christ is, that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, right? And so that's why Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. Because while he had done some damage to the Christians living in Jerusalem, well, they had scattered, they had spread, and so he had some more work to do, and so he had a plan. That's where our text continues. So he, Saul, went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So the way was a name for Christians, right? Because Jesus had said he is the way, the truth, and the life. So Saul's plan is to go to these cities where these Christians had scattered to, find them, arrest them, and bring them back and throw them in prison in Jerusalem. Saul was passionate. Saul was, was driven. He had a purpose. And the thing is, Saul's purpose wasn't himself. He wasn't driven, he wasn't, his purpose wasn't indulgence or, or pleasure or comfort. His purpose was, he thought, wrongly, for God. Saul had a purpose and it drove his life, but, but his purpose wasn't actually God's purpose, as, as he was about to find out. But what about you? Do you ever slip into that trap? And I call it a trap because it is, right? No Christian ever sets out saying, I'm going to live, I'm gonna gonna live for God, but I'm not gonna do it the way God wants. Right? Christians don't intentionally veer off the path that God has for them. But let's be honest, it happens. And it's a trap because lots of people fall into it. And God wants us to watch out for it. See, there's, you live with your family, right? You live in your home. You go to work or to school with your classmates, with your coworkers. You have neighbors and friends who live around you. And, and none of this is by accident. It's on purpose because it's God's purpose. So let me ask, what do you share with them? Well, if you share with them a, a message of, of righteous morality, Because there's a temptation to do that, isn't there? 
Saul had gotten really focused not on God's promises, but on God's do's and his don'ts. And he had kind of forgotten the forgiveness part. And there's a very real temptation for Christians to do the same. As we see an increasingly, it seems, immoral culture, we want to hold on to morality. But understand that, that when you teach your children that the most important thing in the world is to be obedient, to be morally upright people, as you try to, to preach the message of, of sin, as you rail against immorality and you're quick to point out faults, you, don't forget the reason that God has his people do that. See, God points out sin. He's, he's quick to show where we fail, but it's not to protect a system of values. And it's not to make this world a better society. And it's not even for you to raise morally ethical children. See, God wants us to to share that word so that all people see how desperately they need Jesus. How that message always, always, always leads to the need for hope, for the forgiveness of sins, for the payment Christ made. Or maybe you kind of slip to the other side and, and your message your, your thought process is one of permission, of acceptance, of tolerance. And God loves all people. Because the Bible says that, right? And it, it is. He does. But God is also clear that, that he wants all people to know that there are things that God says to do and not to do. And there are lines that God draws. And, and when we cross them, he wants us to recognize it and acknowledge it. And to repent of it and say, Lord, forgive me and trust that the hope that I have comes not because he doesn't care, but because Jesus paid for it. The the message of acceptance, of permission, of just do what you want is a dangerous one to make that the only thing that you preach, that you share, because it turns Jesus into kind of a lucky charm, right? Yeah, I'll I'll keep it, you know, I'll keep it hanging on my rearview mirror in case someday, you know, I might need him. But right now, God's okay with me because, well, God's set a pretty low bar. And he's okay with almost anything. And all of a sudden now, Jesus isn't a savior that, that I want to refocus my life around. That I want to, to make my life's purpose to live for him the way he wants, not the way I want. And I no longer see him as, as my God who's worthy of my worship and my life. He's just a nice guy, and, you know, someday maybe I'll, I'll need him. But until then, I'm okay. See, there's a real danger, there's a real trap that, that Christians can easily slide into. Saul did. I think it's still a modern problem. And it's our second takeaway this morning. That I need to watch for the trap of living for myself, but thinking it's for God. Saul thought he was living God's purpose. He was about to find out that wasn't the case. Let's take a look. Chapter, verse 3. As he, Saul, neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Oh! 
Can you imagine that? I mean, honestly, that he had made his entire life's purpose to attack Christianity, to, to root it out, to get rid of it. And he thought he was doing it for God. And so on his journey, this light from heaven flashes around him, way brighter than the sun. And he falls to the ground and he hears a voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he knows this, there's nobody around, right? This voice is from God. The, the light flashed from heaven. And so he says, who are you, Lord? And then comes the absolute worst thing he could possibly hear. I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. Saul, you aren't working for me. You're working against me. You think you're doing what's right, and really you're doing what, everything that is wrong. Saul was, oh, can you imagine how that must have felt? I mean, this is legitimately the worst thing he could imagine hearing. Did you notice how Saul found out, though? God told him, didn't he? What an incredibly grace-filled, gracious thing from God. I mean, this is the guy who's leading the attack against Christianity. He had destroyed families, homes, killed people, thrown countless people in prison. God would have been well within his rights to say, zap in his righteous judgment to rid the world of this guy. But he didn't. Instead, out of grace, undeserved love, he said, Saul, Saul, you are, you are badly misguided. You are living not for me, but you're living for what you think is me. Isn't it amazing the way God does that for you and me too? Probably not with a blinding light on your way to work and the, the voice thundering from heaven, but he, he still speaks, doesn't he? he? God speaks through his word. And he wants us to listen to his word, to listen to him, not just to what somebody else once told us about him, not to what the prevailing political correct societal answer is about him, but to actually listen. What does God say? And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find something that Saul found. This makes me really uncomfortable. Because there's a lot in there that, yeah, I'm, I'm all on board with. Yes, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving my sins. And then he says, go and sin no more. And we go, but, but I really have a hard time with that one. There's a lot in God's word that, that makes us uncomfortable. At least it should. Because if you can read God's word and you can go, yeah, right on, Jesus, you tell him. You missed what he's saying to you. And, and that's the warning that he has for us, that as we, as we go through life and we, we live for God's purpose, that he wants us to, to watch out for that trap, right? The trap of, of falling off and making my purpose, just calling it God's. And so he wants us, listen to me. No matter how uncomfortable it makes you feel, listen to me. No matter how right you think you are, if it doesn't line up with what God says, you're wrong. And that's why our third takeaway says, God wants me to be continually, ongoing, comparing my life 
right? So my thoughts, my words, my actions, my biases, all of those things to his word to ensure that I truly am living for his purpose. God wants us to do that because he does have a purpose for you. Just like he had for Saul. Take a look. Jesus, again, continuing, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, says, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. To confirm to Saul that this really is Jesus and he really is God, he took away Saul's ability to see. Saul, who had been spiritually blind this whole time, now is also physically blind. And his world was shattered. I mean, it was turned upside down. Everything that he thought was right was wrong. And in despair, he did not eat or drink anything for three days. But that's not the end. Verse 10 says, In Damascus there was, also, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named Tar- from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. God wasn't done with miraculous conversations. So here he speaks to Ananias in a vision. And he says, Ananias, I want you to go to this house on this street and I want you to lay your hands on this guy so that he can see again. And by the way, his name is Saul. And he is from Tarsus. Now everybody knew who Saul was. Saul was the guy you did. If you were a Christian, he's the guy you didn't want to know. He's the guy you wanted to stay off his radar. Because he's the guy who is leading the attack on the church, on Christians, and oh, by the way, I'm a Christian. And that's why Ananias kind of, um, God, I know that you know everything. But are you sure this is the guy you want me to go to? Are you sure that you know that he's come here to arrest Christians? And again, by the way, I'm a Christian. Have you ever wondered why somebody is in your life? You know that person. They come right to your mind right now. It's not hard to think. You don't have to go, hmm, who's he talking about? You know, that person. The person maybe that that you just don't really seem to have much in common with, and yet your lives keep crossing, keep intersecting, and you're wondering why. Maybe it's somebody that that just kind of rubs you the wrong way. They're not bad. It just, we, we just really don't get along. Maybe it's somebody that really does make your life difficult. Maybe it's somebody who's who's needy. Maybe it's somebody who brings the drama. Maybe it's somebody who just 
just frustrates you. And you know what, what the temptation is to do, right? The, the natural reaction. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put up a wall right here, and you're going to stay on that side, and I'm going to stay on this side, and I'm going I'm to push you away. I'm going to cut you off. I won't, do it, I won't do it to your face, but I'll just kind of step this way a little bit more, and I'll just kind of walk away, and you just stay over there. Because that's what Ananias wanted to do with Saul, didn't he? He wanted nothing to do with him. He wanted to stay away from him. But God had other plans. God had a purpose. And I want you to consider, what if that person that's in your life that, that you're not exactly sure why, and maybe you'd even prefer that maybe they weren't, I want you to consider, what if that person is in your life because it's God's plan and God's purpose? Because it might just be. And if that's the case, and we live not for our own purpose, but for God's, what if God wants you to step outside your comfort zone, to deal with the drama, to be okay with them frustrating you, and to love them enough to lift them up, to help them, and to point them to Jesus? Because that's what God wanted Ananias to do. Take a look. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Ananias said, God, are you sure? And God said, go. And Ananias went. Because God had a plan and a purpose for Saul, but before that purpose could be realized, God had a purpose for Ananias. And so Ananias went. He went to the house that God said, on the street God said, and there was the guy God said, and and he did what God said. But can you imagine walking up to this guy who's thrown countless Christians in jail? This guy who's here to attack and arrest Christians and saying, Jesus sent me. Because that's what he did. And the amazing part is, when he did what God told him to do, what happened? God did what God said he would do. I'm pretty sure Ananias was afraid. I am 100% sure, confident, that he was nervous as all get out. I'm pretty certain he had doubts and second thoughts, and he came up with excuses, and he tried to come up with rationalizations why, boy, I'm not sure where Straight Street is anymore. I got lost. I don't know, God. That he tried to do anything and everything he could to avoid this situation, but he went. And not only did he get to witness Saul regain his sight, but, but see what he got to do. He got to be the guy that God used, the instrument to apply water connected to the word of God to this man, Saul, who had done some horrible things against Jesus, against Christians, and to assure them 
every one of them are forgiven because Jesus paid for them all. To assure him, you are God's child. Not the misguided version that thought because you did the right thing, but, but this version because God loves you and he has washed you and made you his own. He got to be the one who pointed Saul to, to the hope that he had because Jesus died and he's our living hope and he lives in heaven and he's going to take you to be there with him. See, you and I, we've been given that same purpose, right? Ananias got to go and, and do what God said. And that's our job too. That's our purpose. That's what we as Christians are about. To be lights. To show forgiveness, to, to share forgiveness. And so, dear friends, be careful as you go and you talk to your friends and your neighbors, as you share with them. Don't make it a, a message that's all about rules or all about permission, but make it a message that's all about forgiveness. Make it about what Jesus was about, right? About the mess that we make and the, the answer that he brings. The forgiveness that he's won for me that I want you to know as well. So when you go to work, take your peace with you. It's probably not the place where you go, yes, this is the most peaceful place on earth. But see, we have peace in our lives, not because our lives are easy or perfect, but because Jesus conquered our enemies. And he gives you and me this meaning for life, that he's made us right with the almighty God who rules over everything. And so we have this hope that someday he's going to take you and me to be with him in that eternal glorious worship that we heard about this morning. Worthy is the Lamb. That's what we get to do. And so that brings us to our last takeaway. To remember this point, that God sent me for his purpose. And understand, that's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult, and it's probably even going to hurt. Because there are going to be friends who are going to say, I don't care and you're not my friend anymore. There are going to be loved ones who distance themselves from you because you shared with them Jesus. There's going to be hurt involved in this, but the goal is so worth it because the goal is eternity in heaven. The goal is eternity in heaven with me and Jesus and God willing as many of them as I can share the word with. God will do the work on that end, but he gives us the the privilege and the responsibility to go and share that good news because that's our purpose. So take that purpose and go home. And don't just raise a bunch of morally good kids. That's a good thing to do, but, but man, forgiveness is so much better because they're going to mess up and they're not going to be perfect. And it's good training for a world that's not going to be perfect. So teach them, love them, Forgive them. And then go to work. And let your coworkers see, I've got peace. Yeah, this didn't go right. Yeah, this isn't great. But I've got peace. And that peace comes from my Savior, Jesus. And show your neighbors, your friends, you know what, I've got this hope. And it's not that our property taxes are going to go down. And it's not anything to do with this world. But I have a hope that goes way beyond today. I have a hope that, that lasts for eternity. 
And I'd love for you to know it too. Because we've got a purpose. And we've got a reason for that purpose. The reason is that Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Amen.